Welcome to the Latinos in Real Estate Investing Podcast, the top information hub for real estate investors and entrepreneurs within the Latino community. Join us on our journey as the host, Martin Perdomo, the elite strategist, talks about how ordinary people can become extraordinary with the power of real estate investing. Here, he and his guests share their expert knowledge on how to create wealth through real estate investing, the mindset required to become a millionaire, and what it takes to master the craft. Hey guys, thank you for joining us today. And today I have a good friend, um, Hector Alvarez. And this is uh, the Latinos in Real Estate Investing Podcast. My friend, my brother, Hector Alvarez. Hector has a very impressive resume. He has been in the business uh, as an investor and a lender for over 20 years. He's a private hard money lender. Uh, he's a mortgage lender. He does residential and commercial. He ha- he's the owner of Asset Advocates. That's correct, right, um, Hector? Is Asset Advocates the name of your company, my brother? Yes, that's one yeah. of them. Yep, he's done over 23 flips. That's one of his companies. He's done over 23 flips in his career. And he's held in his peak over 220 doors at his peak. And he's got a tremendous amount of wealth and knowledge. My friend, my brother, heck, welcome to Latinos in Real Estate Investing Podcast. I know that you're going to just give a tremendous amount of value to our to our listeners. Welcome, my friend. No, thank you so much, Martin. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on. I'm looking forward to being able to share some good information and, you know, some details as to what your listeners need. Awesome, awesome, brother. I want us, I want us to you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start a little bit with with who is Hector, right? So Hector, Hector Alvarez. Um, where, where are your parents from, Heck? And um, let's take this back to the beginning. You know, where, where, you, where where's mom and dad from? How you get here? How you get to where you are? You know, who who? Where does Heck come from? Well, my parents are pretty diverse, I guess you can say. My my father's from Puerto Rico, born and raised. He came over to the United States back when he was probably late teens. My mom is actually from Guatemala, and she came over as an immigrant and actually had to go through the whole scenario of, um, as everyone knows, you know, the whole wall situation, the whole border situation. She literally came over here with coyotes. So she, wow. had, she took the, the, <laughs> the hardest trip you could ever take to actually make it here. So when you think about things and you think about what everybody discusses on what it is to be in, in, in America, working and getting your life together, just imagining how a woman by herself, by the way, she came literally by herself. She didn't have anybody with her. Her family stayed in Guatemala. Her kids stayed in Guatemala, at which point she had, she already had two children, unfortunate situations. Uh, her husband abandoned them, came to the United States by himself. So she decided to tra- take the trek over following her older brothers who had already left Guatemala and actually made it all the way to New Jersey. So she went through the whole process of getting here, you know, the the Coyote route, which a lot of people don't know how that story goes, but it's an insane story. She got to Jersey, met my father in Patterson. They settled down in Patterson, New Jersey. Um, I actually almost got um, deported with my mom while she was pregnant. Wow. Wow. You, you came here pregnant with, or no, she had you here with your dad from Puerto Rico. That's what she meant with your dad. And they almost yeah. deported her with you inside of her. Exactly. Whoa. During those days, they had a lot of Negra runs. Like the immigration was running around just taking anybody and everybody. And she used to wear at a, she used to work at a warehouse that made ballet shoes with my father. And one day the immigration just ran up on them 
And at that point, you know, they, they got out. My father, my father tells me that my grandfather was like, either you marry her now or, you know, it's a wrap because I'm not losing my grandchildren. You know, that's how it was. Mm. They got married, went through that whole route, whatever the case is. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we went through our struggles and it's interesting because I look at life and I'm like, okay, we came from this particular situation of hardship and trying to figure out how to get to where we want to go. And now you're in a situation in life, you're like, okay, now it's just about what do you really want? There's not even anymore. How are we going to get this? Just literally just, let's just get it done. So my whole, my whole life has always been about getting up from where we were, you know, seeing how my mom's getting came here. When I went to Guatemala to visit, dude, it's a, it's, it's hard out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I came from the barrio over in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and it's just one of those situations that it's, it's good to see where you, you know, your parents come from and how they got here because it gives you a lot of motivation to actually move forward and get to possibly at least reach anything that you want to do. Man, you sh- that's such a beautiful story, brother. That's such a beautiful story. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate. And some of those that can't, it's good that you hear stories like this because um, it, it just shows that our parents, your mom, my mom came pregnant with me here as well from the Dominican Republic. Our parents, the struggles our parents pay to get us here, the land of, uh, of the American dream, right? The land of the dream. <laughs> yeah. And you're living that, my friend. You're living that. And, and I'm proud of you, man. And I'm, I'm, you know, that I'm sure your parents are, are also proud of you for what you've done and what you're doing. And um, I, I, so tell us, heck, who was Hector in high school? Who was, who was Hector in high school? Was Hector the popular kid? Was Hector, what did you like? Did you like math? Was Hector the, the, the cool kid? Well, who was Hector in high school? Tell us about that. Dude, that, that's, I think about that all the time, in fact, because it's interesting to think of who you were back when you were young, right? Mm-hmm. And then you start analyzing everything that you did and everybody you hung out with. And when I sit around and I actually start, you know, taking into, into, into mind some of the old stories of, you know, what I did in high school and who I knew, I was the one kid that reminds me very much of, um, it was that TV show, Ferris Bueller. Okay. The, 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 guy, the kid who everybody knew who everybody went to whenever they needed something. Ah, okay. That was, that was basically me back in those days. Like, I was actually the kid who just happened to know all the nerds, who happened to know all the popular kids, who was actually friends with everybody across the board. I didn't have one specific crowd that I hung out with. Mm. I just hung out with everybody. I was, I was on the chess team, so yes, I had the nerd side on me. I was on, you know, I was on the math team, so I was on, you know, I was all over the place at the end of the day. And I was even one of them kids that the teachers, if they needed something, they would come to me. You, I used to sell to my teachers. I used to sell them video cameras. Not to even want to say this over, the, over any internet, but mm-hmm. in the, one of my friends one time actually stole a video camera from the video department, and I sold it to one of the teachers in the school. Oh, boy. You know what I mean? So whenever something was missing, they would call me so I can find it. Whenever something had happened, they were like, dude, I had a relationship with everybody. The... Um, the principal's secretary knew me by name, and she would literally be calling me out, like in the hallways and all that. So high school was interesting. I was always an entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 13 in high school. I actually used to go to the bodega. They used to sell those uh, those round lollipops, the different colors, and they used to sell for 10 cents. So mm-hmm. one day I was like, you know what? Why not? I bought like a dollar's worth, took them to school, sold them for a quarter a pop, and from that point forward, I started selling lollipops. Little Debbie's, like you name it, bro. I was bringing in candies. I was a candy man at one point. I was making upwards of 150 to $200 cash every single day in school. 
Woo! Nice, man. I mean, talk yeah. about being an entrepreneur. <laughs> and then that grew from candy. I started selling jewelry. I started selling electronics. Uh, everything. I mean, I, I even I was even a bookie in school to the teachers who used to gamble um, on the on the football games. Wow! <laughs> wow, man, that's crazy, brother. That's crazy. So, so um, you've always had this entrepreneur spirit. You've always been onto an entrepreneur. I want to. I want to. I want to ask you, brother. Where do you think you got that from? I mean, oh, where, where, where was that born? You know what I mean? That was my mom and my dad. Bro. My mom and my dad. Oh. Yeah. This is like at the end of the day, my parents had three jobs. I never saw my parents growing up. Mm -hmm. My mother would work in the day during um in the what do you call those things in the making okay. shows. You know, they used to work in one of those big old buildings just making stuff. Yeah, and then, what it? And one of them, one of those factories. Yeah, exactly. She was a factory worker. So she worked at the factories, and then in the afternoon she would come home, grab something to eat, leave, go to her second job, which was um, cleaning. Mm. And then my father had, and then they would do a third shift, which was cleaning offices, which was my father's first little gig. Mm -hmm. And then on the weekends, they would go to New York and go to Chinatown back in the days and buy all different types of things. Like I'm talking about blankets and dolls and lo que sea. And they would sell them. They would go on the, on the, on the street and sell them. Mm. So always selling, you know, selling stuff. And I used to see that. And then I used to be, my father used to have a van and him and my uncle in the middle of the night, we'll go to all the rich neighborhoods and take all their garbage. And I don't mean garbage as in the trash. I'm talking about like old furniture that they would throw out, toys, everything that they would they didn't want. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and they would be packing up my freaking living room to the point where we couldn't walk. Dude, I had so many toys when I was a kid, toys that I wish I would have kept. Things mm -hmm. that things that we couldn't even afford back then, which now we can't even afford more because they're so much more expensive. Mm -hmm. So and what they did was they used to get them and they would go again and sell them to whoever. They would so that's that's where it all came from. Just seeing how they that's how we had that's how we actually ended up making sure that we met ends, you know, because we couldn't make any other monies. Back then, you know, we had to go through the struggle. We actually ended up on welfare. We ended up through that whole process, but they got out of it because they they made it. They made it happen. They didn't wait for it to happen. I, I love that story, heck, because you know, if, if, if there's a listener out there that is is unsure how the immigrant, how, how the Latino immigrant life is, this is a great picture of the struggles that a lot that our parents, us as first generation born Americans, that our parents went through and what they put in us that that hustle, man, that hard work. Like you know, our parents taught us to work hard, like because that's what we saw. They they didn't teach it to us. They Verbally, they taught it to us by showing us, you know, like your, your dad. I mean, that's, dude, that's, that's amazing, man. That, that's something to be totally proud about. And that's something that takes a heck of a lot of courage, brother. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Imagine your parents doing that, working that hard. No, I mean, I mean you have to think about it this way. It's like, okay, you know, there's certain, like, okay, us, right? We can take a risk because we may have a little bit extra money that we can play with and say, look, let's, let's just do something with it, right? Mm -hmm. But considering the fact that back in the days, we're talking about in the 70s, like late 70s, they didn't have any extra money. That was a risk in itself, trying to take money from rent or trying to take money from groceries and say, you know what, we don't want to keep doing this. Let's just try something else. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how they started. I mean, literally, they would just go off and try to find something that they knew they could get. My mother used to do it. My mother used to sell combs. You know those little black combs? Yep, yep, yep. 
so when he's when I grew up in church, Pentecostal. Um, mm-hmm. So every Sunday, my mom would be at church, you know, and you'd see her walking around selling cones, little black cones for like 35, 50 cents and selling them to the, you know, to the people, to the members of the church. Wow. And it got to the point where by the time I was, I think I, I think it must have been before 13. I always say that I started my first business at 13. I think I started earlier because uh, back in the days, they used to have those catalogs that I used to be able to order from. Yeah. Almost like it was almost oh dude I was almost recruited into Amway when I was 13 years old. <laughs> right, one of the regional one of the regional top earners of Amway came to actually went to me and was trying to recruit me at 13 years old. Wow, you know I mean? it was the most historical thing in the world, which I regret now because imagine starting yeah, at 13. Yeah, 13, you didn't know how you could have been. Yeah, man, you could have been a oof. So the whole point is that. I started this business where this catalog was, um, and I, I don't even know how I got the catalogs. I don't know how I found them. I used to go to the, to the stores and just buy whatever the heck, read the magazines in the back, the business magazines. When I was 10, 11, that's what I was doing. Going to, we used to go to the supermarket and we sit in there reading magazines and I rip out the back pages where they had all these things, get free information on how to make money. Mm-hmm. I would mail out for them and I got this catalog and I used to sell shoes, jewelry out of the catalog. And wow. it was my first business, I never had to invest a dollar. I literally would, would sell everything. They would pay me. And that's how I would order it and pay for the product. Mm. So I was making my money before I even got the product sold. You know, and that's, that's the whole scenario. That's, that's awesome, brother. I mean, it's obvious where your grind came, where your grind comes from, your hustle, your, your work ethic, that entrepreneur spirit. Um, so how did you get started in real estate? So you, you grew up, you know, with this, you've seen your mom and dad working three jobs, selling stuff, you hustling, you grinding. I mean, man, necessity is the mother of invention, they say, right? Necessity when you're in need, when you're poor. And, and I come from poverty, you know, I come from, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, you know, my first five years of my life was in the Dominican Republic and we were poor, 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 poor. I mean, poor in un barrio, we used to live in a barrio too. And I'm so grateful for that because that gives me perspective, man. That gives me that, that hunger. That gives me that edge. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's what it's done for you too, my brother. So how did you get started in real estate? Uh, how, did, how did that happen? So how did, how did that evolve? How did you do, when did you do your first deal? How did you wind up in real estate? That all started, you know, a while ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how, it just came to be. It wasn't one of those situations that I, I planned on. It was, it's typically nothing ever really is. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, it's incredible. Um, because I just, like what happened was I ended up having a friend of mine that was actually working on houses, let's call it. But he, at the time I needed a job. So I literally started working at a lumber yard. This was, wow, close to a little bit over maybe 20 something years ago. So I started working in this lumber yard and I was the, a salesperson there. I had no clue about nothing. I didn't know how, I didn't know a two by four from a screwdriver. That's mm-hmm. how bad it was back then. But necessity was necessity, I needed your job. So my father was already working in lumber. He's been working for the same company since 86, which is one of the largest lumber yards in, the, in New Jersey. So he was like, hey, you know, go to this place. One of the old managers just left here and he's, you know, working there. Brand new company. They had only done like a half a million dollars in sales in the first year. I come in and the guy's like, what do you do? I was like, you know, gave him my background. I do sales, I do marketing, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, oh, so, you know, how much do you want to make? I was like, I want 50 grand. 
mind you, I had no experience. I had no clue what the heck anything was. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really simple. If you know how to sell, it doesn't matter what you're selling. You can make it happen. That's right. That's right. He comes back to me. He counteracts me. You know, he counter, counters that 44 grand. I took the job. It was like $44,000. I was like, rich. Yeah, rich. <laughs> I was like, you know. So I took the job. And I started seeing all these contractors coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. I started becoming friends with a lot of them. And they would explain to me what they were doing. Oh, you know, we're buying these houses, we're rehabbing them, we're fixing them, we're going to sell them. And this was before the whole, this is back in the days when you can buy a three-family house in Patterson for like 110 grand, Ooh. right? Mm-hmm. So you can buy, and these houses, then all of a sudden, within a few years, they were selling for 450. That's mm-hmm. right before the big crash. So I started getting involved by, by basically consulting with a lot of these guys and helping them buy products for cheaper. I started helping them get subcontractors cheaper. And when I started doing that, I partnered up with this other guy who had money. And he was like, oh, you know what? Let's just invest together. We'll buy these buildings. You, you help us with finding the, the, the properties. You help us find the materials. You get us the subcontractors. At which point I also started working with the county and the city and getting them vouchers for veterans, getting them vouchers for mental illness, all crazy types of things. Um, I became very good friends with a lot of politicians throughout my whole career. And with all that, it just started leading into, okay, let's just buy and hold. We started buying, we started holding. Uh, we, I, I was buying buildings, man. One of my best acquisitions, actually one of my, probably my second best, but one of my best was a 16-unit building in Patterson, two bedrooms each, four-story brick building, solid as a rock. I paid $175,000 for this building. Wow. $175,000. We invested roughly two fifty dollars in fixing it because it wasn't bad. It's just, you know, you need to update it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crash hit. <laughs> Which crash? 2008? Yep. And then that came and just obliterated everything. We were over-leveraged. And that we were just finishing that one building. I bring that building up because it was the last building that I had before I ended up having to turn everything over. And that building was our best acquisition price-wise mm-hmm. because the, the as-is value of that building was about 900 grand. Wow. I just had to buy it for 175. And then the ARV value was close to 2 million back in 2008. Ooh. And so all of a sudden we got over leveraged. We lost the building. We, well, we didn't lose it. We ended up having to sell it, so we so we wouldn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. Just so we didn't lose money. So we sold off everything. I lost there, all my property. It's lost probably roughly over a little over a million, million two cash. Um, I ended up having to go move back home. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> yeah. You know. And uh, till this day, that building is like, I want that building. Even if I have to buy a retail, I just want it as a means of saying, you know what? This was mine at one point. Because yep. that building right now is roughly worth about $3 million. Wow. Wow. So I want to unpack this. You gave us a lot of information there, brother. So you started, how old were you when you started working at this warehouse when your dad hooked you up with his job and, and told you to go get this? Uh, how old at the time? All right. With that particular job, I would say it was anywhere between 19 and 20 years old. Okay, so 19, 20 years old, guy, uh, listeners, pay attention to this. He was working at a lumber yard, okay? Yet he started talking to people. He started uh, paying attention and you started talking to, you started networking, you started asking questions. I'm always talking about asking better questions, finding the people, finding, getting resourceful. Started asking questions. You started, it's that hustle, man. It's that grind that you grew up with. You started... <laughs> Um, connecting people. You started uh, working with these contractors and then you, you found someone that 
uh, you met your partner at the time, right? That I met one of your business partners, like, yes. You met you met your money business partner at the time, and you started buying. You guys started buying property, started holding, started started flipping. That's is that around the time you started flipping? Did you do your flips in this? In this, I, this I was gonna say within the, within about a year and a half after starting at that spot, I started doing that. Okay, and you started flipping, and um, you were rocking and rolling. Two thousand eight comes along, boom! Like many of us, it hit us like a ton of brick. Those of us that were in there. You sold a bunch of stuff, even had to move back home with mom and dad. Tell us about that because you raised yourself out of that. I know, right? I know last time we talked, we were, we were at an event, you and I, and you, were, you actually showed me the property you have. Um, I think it's what, 1.2 million that you had it for sale? One flip? Yeah. I don't know if you on that. Did you actually have that unit yet already? That one's actually right now finalized. I'm finalizing it as we speak. Oh, um, so yeah, exactly. It was a little hard getting rid of these properties during this whole pandemic. Yep, yep. So I know that you had that property. Um, one of your flips, you were, you were, you know, you're good. I'm glad that you're moving it. And um, so you went back home. You had to move back home. You had to readjust. Tell me what happened to Hector during that time. So, you know, you've had this grind. I know you personally. You're a positive guy. You're looking for the best. You know, you're always looking for the outcome. You're always getting resourceful and looking uh, for a way to make things happen. What happened to Hector when you had to sell everything because you were over leveraged, like many of us were. Many of us were over leveraged back in those days. Uh, what happened in Hector's mind um, when you went, you know, through that valley, when you went down to that valley, going back home? How did you deal with that? How did you manage your mindset and how did you pull yourself back up? Hmm. It's interesting because um, I guess every individual is definitely different. I mean, that's a given. Mm -hmm. But me it's one of those situations that the worse it gets the more i push forth and that's just the way i am mm. um, it's almost like i tell everybody uh i'm one of those people that i'm very spiteful but it's a weird way of being spiteful it's like if somebody tells me i can't do it i'm going to do it in spite of them mm -hmm. so it gives me more drive it gives me more reason to actually get things accomplished so at that point i had to figure out okay what am i going to do now you know i mean everything is done everything is gone I have to figure out what my next step is. And I just decided to, you know, step back completely from everything that had to do with real estate um, and started concentrating on something else. I mean, I've always been good at marketing. Marketing is easy because it's, to me, it's how, it's how you build a business. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out, I can't allow all of this to take me down. I have to keep figuring out how to make something else happen. So at that point, I started working in marketing. I started actually doing... Um, which took me to a whole other level on a worldwide basis. And I started get, I started a, a company called Pejealo.com during the whole reggaeton days. Mm. I was the first Latin DVD magazine in the whole country, uh, which happened to be launched with my, with my initial um, cover with Aventura. We were friends with Aventura at the time. Romero. And then from there, we ended, we ended up grabbing a contract with Aventura. We did, uh, my older brother and I actually helped promote and market in radio their first three albums oh wow and, and then my brother went on to help them to finalize the end which was the last album i worked on artwork with them i helped them promote um, put together events and it was i mean we, we went on tour with them here locally you know, we would follow them around going from one event to the next event recording um i ended up doing an event with red bull that went to 21 countries worldwide and it just broadened my network so it's like like everything in life, if you're going to allow it to take you down, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be taken down. Mm. 
if you instead of looking at it from the perspective of I just lost everything and you figure out, well, how do I get it back? That's the concentration you should put more effort into, you know, because it's it's a lot more energy going towards a positivity other than going into the negative mindset, which now you're going to sit there and drown in your own sorrows. Mm. So for me, it's always been very not simple. I'm not saying it's simple, but it's always been very easy to try to get back up and concentrate on how I'm going to do it more so than dwelling on the fact of where I am. That's an amazing message, man, and that's an, that's an amazing mindset. So how did you get back into the real estate game? So you kind of went into the music game a little bit. You, you started Perreo.com. You, you started working with Aventura, with Romeo and those guys when they were Aventura back then. And then you, now, you moved into, now you move into real estate. How did that happen? How did you come back into, uh, into the so game? It all actually intertwines because um, – I always say business is business, right? So during those days, I was working with everybody. I mean, I had, I had um, open doors at any venue in the, in the country. If I made a phone call, I'd get into anything. Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music, and no, no pay. I was just walking in, and I started meeting a lot of people, and I met, and then I started seeing my guys start doing. They were doing promotions. They were promoting parties, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I started doing network marketing. I started working with a friend of mine. His name is Min Ho. Min Ho is a gentleman that uh, mentored me for a while when I was going through all this craziness. And he's a gentleman who's actually helped make and actually helped make over 100 millionaires. This guy's actually been able to take people from nothing and show them how to make money by focusing, by being able to network and just grow a business on whatever product. He at the time was specific to one product, but the whole point was meeting him he started broadening my mindset on okay i have to go out and talk to people and sell them something great and then i was like i was trying to figure out the best way to meet people meet and greets i was like okay this is going to be my first venue into that my first uh, meet and greet started back in 2000 2011 actually and i started doing meet and greets specifically for real estate agents because real estate agents are are some of the biggest targets in mlms because they have a huge network they're always looking to make money. And most of the time, they're hustlers, you know? So yep. my mind was like, let me go after these real estate agents. They'll, they have big networks. You know, we'll be able to get a whole big amount of people into this, into this business. Started working ridiculously well. I started doing meet and greets twice a week. I was getting upwards of 100 to 150 people at every meet and greet every single week. Um, and then from there, I was approached um, by one of the mortgage companies. And they were like, okay, Hector, you know, we see your networks, we see what you're doing. And they pulled me back in because they offered me my own branch. They were like, if you want to get into real estate, we'll offer you a branch. You'll get branch pricing, you, you know, you'll make money on the deals. And you, you'll be able to own your own actual branch. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. So okay. I was like, all right, you know, I jumped in. I was like, I got my own branch. I, and that all came about just by networking with these people. And that's how I all of a sudden came right back again into the whole real estate. Beautiful. So, so here we are. Now you own, um, now you own your, you have your own branch and you're a lender now and you're still doing some flips. You're still doing some stuff and buying and holding and you, you got your hands and stuff. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So now you've got your own branch. Actually, before we talk about, before we talk about that, I want you to share the story. I want you to share the sto story that you shared with me, with our listeners, please share the story. Before we get into the into the into the uh, the branch, the, the mortgage lending, the Cadillac story. Remember the story you told me about the Cadillac with my dad? No, the Cadillac. You had you said right right. You, you had I think it was you lost the car 
and you said you were going to buy this Cadillac by this date. Oh and man! On oh, that day, you oh, love it. Can you share that story, please? Or oh, the car, that car, that story, oh, the car story. I love that story. It's a great story. This is actually is insane. So, all right. So, this is getting. I'm going to lead into it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. My business partner, Ladies Luwaga, which you've met. Uh, her and I started working together when we started doing mortgages, which, you know, she was, she was coming to my, uh, my events. She actually joined my MLM at the time. So she was, she's been a part of a lot of what I've been doing since 2011, 2012, right? Mm-hmm. So she and I would always be like trying to figure out how we're going to build something, right? So at the time we decided to read um, Think and Grow Rich together. Mm-hmm. So we would read it together. We would highlight the, the book throughout the whole process. Then we would go to a park or somewhere, sit down. And we would read each other only the highlighted parts, only the parts that caught our attention, and then we would discuss them, right? And throughout the whole process, you know how it's, you you have to take action, you have to write down everything, and that's how you make it work. You know, you can't just try to say you're going to do something and not have a plan of action for it. Mm -hmm. So what we would do is we would literally sit down, and we would each take a piece of paper, date it, and write down everything that we wanted to achieve as if we had already achieved it. And, and put specific dates as to what we wanted and just write it down. All right, so no problem. I still got that piece of paper, by the way. Mm. So we went in and we wrote this, we wrote out a list. And I had, at the time, I had fallen in love with the Lincoln. And um, it, was, it was like, I, mean, I just loved the Lincoln. I was like, oh, I want that, I want that car. Mm. And, um, you know, it's like, wow, okay, you know, um, and then what am I going to do? What am I going to say? So I sat down. I was like, you know what? I want this specific car. Um, and I wrote it down. I believe the date was, I said, by April 20th of 2016, I want a red Lincoln MKX, which was the car they had at the time, which was the SUV. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote it down. I just wrote it down. And, you know, we just kept, you know, we just kept working, kept doing what we had to do. And I forgot about that piece of paper. Completely forgot about the whole notion of it, in fact. And then the following year, which was 2016, I told lady, I was like, look, man, this is, this is one of my biggest practices, which sounds funny, but I was always the one person who was like, look, if I'm going to get somewhere, I need to have a reason why. And a lot of times people say, what is your why? There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of whys. It could be love, it could be life, it could be your kids, it could be just, just the fact that you want to get somewhere. My motivation was always one of those situations that I need to get out of the gutter. I need to get out of the hole, right? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the ways that I felt that I wanted to get out and it helped me and it gave me more strength. So I would buy watches. I'm addicted to watches, not because I love wearing them or because I love having them or because I collect them, but because it was a situation that at the time I couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. So I, at one point I bought a Movado. It was, it was not expensive. It was probably like a $600, $700 watch, which at the time I had no money for it. I literally put it on credit. I was like, I'm going to buy this watch and I'm going to be able to afford it. Right. So I bought it, not being able to afford it. I bought it within a few months. All of a sudden, our income doubled. Mm. And I went to ladies like, I'm going to buy another watch. I upgraded. <laughs> mm. and, and, the, and in the first year, I, I ended up buying about 10 watches. Wow. So roughly, roughly those 10 watches at this present time are worth man, maybe 15, 20 grand, just those 10. Mm-hmm. And the following year, I was like, you know what? I want to get a car. And I was like, we're both getting cars. Because I didn't even have a car at the time. I had lost my car um, because it was repossessed when I lost everything. I lost everything at that point. So I had, she had the only car which we, we purchased with our first $1,500. I gave her the money. She was, you know, she was a single mother. She had a child. I was like, you need the car more than I do. Mm-hmm. So I got her the car. 
And then in 2016, I was like, nah, man, that's, I'm like, I was like, we're going to upgrade this. We're taking this to the next level. Not having even the means of being able to figure out where the hell this money was. Mm-hmm. We sat down and we said, okay, if we're going to succeed, we need to make sure that we figure out how much money we need. We wrote down the rent because I had an office at the time, we wrote down all the utilities, everything that we needed. We wrote down how much the insurance was going to cost, how much the car was going to cost. And we said, okay, we need $30,000 a month in order for us to at least just not even make money for ourselves, but just to keep business going. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me, she's like, Hector, are you sure? I was like, watch, just do it. We went to, um, we went to the Lincoln shop, you know, to, to talk to the guy. We walk in. Originally, we wanted a black one. We were going to get black ones with, um, with brown, no, with black interiors. But nobody had them. And they were expensive. So we're like, nah. So we went to this one guy. As soon as we walk in, I see this almost like a red, it was like a cherry red, almost like a burgundy, the Iron Man color. Let me call it that. Yeah, okay. So it was that kind of red. And I walk in, I look at her, and we're like, done. I was like, I want that one. And the guy's like, huh? I was like, that's the one I want. And he looks at me, he's like, okay, we sat down. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I need two of those, identical. You know, and then they were like, the guy's looking at me like, what the heck? I was like, you know, whatever. We sat down. How much is it? We, we negotiated. And he was like, geez, like, you want two of these? I was like, yeah. I mean, at the time, they were, we're jumping from a $1,500 used hoopty and me not having a car into a $60,000 car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two of them. Yeah, exactly. We jumped into two $60,000 cars. And he was like, all right, done. Filled out all the paperwork. Two days later, I came in, picked them up. And within a few months, we're working, we're going through our documents, we're cleaning up the office. And the lady looks at me, she's like, heck, I was like, what? Look, and she hands me over this piece of paper. I look down at the paper and I start cracking up because I had picked up my car on April 20th, 2016. And on that freaking piece of paper, it says I would have a red, mind you, we went shopping for black, Mm -hmm. but in the document, it actually says you will buy a 2016 red MKX. And up until a few months ago, up, up until last year, I had that car. I just upgraded wow. it. <laughs> wow. I, I talk about, I love that story because talk about writing your goals, getting clarity, putting it out in the universe. Uh, at this point, I, I, I suppose that by this point, when you guys bought those two cars, you guys were, were making money. You, you guys were already um, doing it. You guys, your business was, was doing well at that time. Yes. <laughs> Time, we're still struggling. I mean, you have to think about it. It's like if we're in a situation that we're looking to say, okay, well, we need to make $3,500. We were making money, um, but not to the degree where we can say we were making money. You understand? And I think that what people need to realize is a lot of times people see me and they say, oh, Hector drives that car. Or Hector has that watch because he wants to show off. No, it's a motivator for them. I can't afford it. Dude, for Christmas of last year, before this whole pandemic, I bought myself a $25,000 Breitling. You know, you know, it's like, and I didn't do it for the show off. I did it because my goal was to triple or quadruple what I was going to do this year. Mm. And within the first quarter before the pandemic, I made more money this year in the first quarter than the entire year of 2019. I, I want to touch on that real quick, my brother. Because here's, here, here, here's what I'm getting from that. You are mature enough and you are, you're so well grounded in who you are that you know yourself. You found how to move, how to leverage yourself. And you found a way to leverage yourself. You know that, hey, me getting this is going to push me to the next level. That's freaking amazing. You know, that comes with age. That comes with time. That comes with knowing thyself. 
you figured that out for you. And, and for the listeners, I think that's, you know, you need to figure out what motivates you, your why. And in a way, that's kind of the, how you, am, am I right here, Hector, that this is kind of, you know how to move your needle, how to keep pushing yourself. Always. I mean, it's, you, you find motivations through different things, right? My motivation is based on the many factors, you know what I mean? But in order for me to move, it's like this, my businesses, I mean, I own, right now I roughly own maybe 12, 15 businesses at this current point. I've always had someone with me. And this is also going to sound weird, but it's the same concept as my watch, let's call it. If When I have a business partner, like for instance, when I started working with Lady, Lady, like I said, was, she had no job. This woman literally left her job. All right, she left the job that she was making to come work with me full time. Listen to what I'm telling you. She had no job. Mm-hmm. She is a single mother. No, no one coming in from her ex-husband, nothing, literally, just this woman was working her butt off, and I respect and love her to death till this very day because it did something that no one ever would have done. Mm-hmm. That was one of my motivators. I was like, yo, I can't let this woman down. I can't, you know, sit here mm-hmm. and in a position that I'm going to let her do what she did and not me come through. Mm-hmm. So I pushed harder to make sure she and her family were taken care of. And people would may say, okay, wow, that's unselfish. It's, it's unselfish to a certain degree. But if you look at it from how I look at it, it's very selfish because I was looking at that as the means of using it to get myself forward. You understand? And it's very important to think about it that way because when you worry about someone else and you don't worry about yourself, you're not doing it for anybody but that person's sake. But when you put it in that perception and you think about it, well, I'm helping them because I'm helping myself, mm -hmm. now it means I love that what you just said because you know that I coach and I mentor a bunch of people. You mentioned that you, you, we got a lot of stuff to unpack and we probably we need to do this again, Hector. Um, you mentored a mentor, right? You mentored you met you mentioned you had um, Ming Ho that really brought in your mindset, as you put it. Um, now you're talking about uh, having being accountable to someone else. So here's the thing. We as human beings, we're easier. We let it's easy to let ourselves down when we write a goal and we let it's easy to say to ourselves, Well, I'll do it next year. But when someone else is depending on you, like Lady was depending on you, she she was she was relentlessly reliable and faithful to you. Now it's not about you anymore. Now you have you're you're moving your why is about I can't let her down. See, once you find that leverage for yourself, that it's not yourself, and you find an accountability partner, you find a mentor, you find a coach, you find someone, someone else that's going to hold you accountable to your actions, all of a sudden your production rises. And you did that, lady did that for you. It was like, hey man, I'm not going to let her down. You know, and that kept pushing you and moving you, and man, I commend you guys for that. You guys are a great team. You know, I love you guys. You guys, my sister works with you guys. You gave my sister an opportunity to work there with you, and uh, you guys are doing some amazing, amazing stuff. Heck, I want to, before we wrap it up, I wanted just to talk about you doing a lot of, you're still doing a lot of those network events, networking events with realtors and things like that. Um, tell us about that. Um, I know you're doing some educational stuff. I know I've, I've talked at some of your events. Um, tell us about that. How, how do what are you doing there? How are you educating people? Because I know you're doing stuff, a lot of stuff in the lending space with your, with your, with your business. How are you um, educating people now? How do people get involved in that? If someone's in Jersey or someone wants to go to your events. By the way, Hector puts on beautiful events. Um, your last event I went to, 
it wasn't the, your last one, but the last one I went to was, was Aventanas. It's a beautiful restaurant. I mean, I don't know how many people were there. A couple hundred people. A few hundred people. Yeah. It was beautiful in a beautiful venue. It was a great, great networking. I mean, he puts on a great, great event. Tell us about that. Heck, what, what is it that you, when you put those on, what is it that, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? When you put those on, those are networking events, but then you also have educational events where you actually educate people. You actually bring people in from the community to educate them on lending and you bring specialists and you bring experts and different things. Tell us about that. The, um, I've always liked doing meet and greets. I mean, it's been one of my biggest things for the last, who knows how many years already. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started, I really have always been really focused on wanting to do education, but I didn't want to do education on the premise of let me just talk to you. You understand? Because what happens is you can have someone go through the classroom situation where you're sitting in, you know, at a desk and the teacher's talking to you, but they're just talking to you. There's no actual true interaction unless, you know, someone has a question. What I wanted to do different was like, I need to create a way to get people together so we could all communicate. We could all like have a reason to meet. So the networking events were the means of just gathering people just so we could all meet, network, you know, create relationships. And what's very different about what I do is I don't pitch. I don't talk. I don't do anything about networking events. They're strictly networking events. Mm -hmm. You come, you hang out, you chill, you talk. Everybody gets to the point where they're asking me, why do you do these? I mean, you're not even, what do you do? Like, what? But that's the thing. You see the question, what do you do? It wouldn't have come up had I had a pitch or had I had a specific type of a reason why I was doing my meet and greet. Because people would go there with understanding all, they're just going to try to pitch us their products. They're going to just try to get us to do business with them. But with me, it works a little differently because I don't do that. They literally have to walk in there and find out what the heck is going on, what is Hector doing, who is he, what does he do? And those questions always arise. And when they arise, that's now when you walk in, now you're not even pitching it anymore. You're having a conversation about who you are. You're explaining to them things. And if you're good at what you do and you explain things in such a way, they're going to want to do business with you. They're at least going to be curious to find out. And that also opens up to getting into the educational because now those same people are going to be a part of bringing people to your events and growing your your whole entire base. And then when we go into my networking, excuse me, we take we go into our educational components. It's almost like a straight up open forum, in a sense that you know it's like everybody's just talking, right? Uh, but typically, what happens is I took the educational when somebody's up there talking and teaching someone. And then I also took the panels concept where you have a panel of people just, you know, someone just asking questions to these professionals and put it together because now we have a panel, but instead of them talking, you know, just answering questions, we're having conversations with the audience at the same time. So it's very open. People can talk and they can yell into it. They can start talking to us and it's very engaging. Everybody feels like, you know, time flies. Like seriously, you'll be in, a, in an hour panel and you wouldn't even realize it. And people literally learn because you're not learning strictly by listening, but you're learning by participating. And there's other people there. So remember, when people ask questions, other people learn because they had the fear of asking that question. Mm. 100%, brother. That's, that's, uh, that's brilliant. By the way, listeners, you just got from Hector how to build a business from zero to 100 fast. I, I, I mean, Hector, that's just genius. It's brilliant what, you, what you've done, what you've created, man. I'm, I'm so proud to 
be part of your network. And I'm, I'm also proud to you. You had me at one of your panels uh, last year. Thank you for that. And um, I'm, I'm happy what you're doing and how you're serving the, your community, our community, our people. You have a ton of Latinos there. I, I mean, it, it's really impressive what you're doing, my brother. Um, tell us, man, how, how can people get a hold of you, brother, if um, they want to either A, attend one of your events, or B, they want to um, they want to they, they want a commercial loan, and we didn't even really get much into that. You know, they want a commercial loan, or they want to refinance their house, or they want to purchase a house. Because tell us about tell us about how they can get a hold of you um, to to connect with you, or maybe they want to maybe they want you to, and I don't know if you're doing any mentoring. You know, um, maybe they want you to mentor them. Maybe they just maybe they want to go and work for you so they can learn from you. They're in your area. You know, and maybe they can offer you some value. Um, how can they reach you? Email, uh, phone, or uh, website? How 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 do they how do people reach you, brother? Well, they can definitely go to assetadvocates.com. So that's www.assetadvocates.com. Um, they could reach us by calling um, 888-403-9996, or they could even just email me at halvarez at assetadvocates.com. Um, we, you know, we're always looking to work with people. Um, we do offer quite a bit of different services from the regular financing, such as FHA, VA, uh, 203k loans for home ownership. We do conventional loans. We do asset-based loans for the hard money nationwide. Uh, we also do the um, non-owner occupied, you know, no doc loans, which are really great. And we do a lot of things. I mean, I, I do buy, you know, we, I do buy real estate myself. I do flip it. I, I am intending on more so keeping them at the current moment. Mm -hmm. We also represent uh, buyers. My business partner is a real estate agent, so we work on that. And right now, it's just the easiest way is literally just call us, email us, go to the website. And if whatever they need pertaining to real estate, we have it covered. Perfect. And, and your, your partner, let's talk about her real quick. You said she's a real estate agent lady. I'm going to most likely have her on here, too. Uh, coming soon. The lady is um, a real estate agent. So if there's anyone out there, lady speaks Spanish. So you both are bilingual. Yeah. Uh, so if uh, anyone wants to list their home with lady or is looking to get a you know, CMA report or, you know, wants to, is thinking about selling their home and maybe, you know, our parents don't speak English, right? Like my mom doesn't speak English. We, <laughs> you know how it is. We're immigrants. Yeah. So maybe someone's listening like 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 uh like us right first generation americans and our and they the parents have a house and they need a realtor and they're in new jersey and they happen to be in new jersey and they need a realtor to help them um tell us about lady how can can lady help them with that well no definitely lady's actually been working in real estate now going on seven years um her biggest forte is working with sales so she's actually good at listing and selling the properties mm -hmm. And um, she's easy to be reached. I mean, her number is 973-348-5566. That's actually her direct real estate line. And um, she speaks, she's very fluent in English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. She knows the market. She knows exactly how to help people. She works with a ton of investors. So if you're looking to buy and flip, she has access to a lot of properties within the North Jersey area that a lot of people don't get access to. She works with probably half a dozen wholesalers so she has, you know, what a lot of people need when it comes to the real estate game. Yeah, so she's a great contact to have for those uh, investors uh, uh, listening out there. Lady and Hector with Asset Advocates. Uh, she's got wholesalers. That's a great, that's a 
great contact. She's a great contact to have. My brother, I know that you're busy. You're running multiple businesses. Thank you, thank you for this. You shared a ton of golden nuggets. We need to do this again um, soon because there's a lot more we need to unpack. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you for your gracious with, so being so gracious with your time, and uh, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you All so right. much for it. Thank you for listening to the Latinos in Real Estate Investing podcast, the top information hub for real estate investors and entrepreneurs within the Latino community. If you like to invest passively in real estate with our group, please email martin at premierridgecapital.com.